If you turn with me to John chapter number 13, John 13, we're going to look at verse 34 in just a moment. Throughout the New Testament, we find amongst the teaching of Jesus, and uh, even more so, the apostles and the letters, the epistles that are written, a group of commands that have been come to known, uh, we, we know them at least as the one another's, the one another commands. And the most famous of all of those commands is found here in John 13, verse 34 and 35. Here Jesus instructs, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want to take a moment as we get started this morning to consider this text. And the first question I had is, why does Jesus say this is a new commandment? What does he mean by that? Because if you go to the Old Testament, there are commandments about loving our neighbor. In fact, when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the supreme to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Then he took him to Leviticus 19.18 where it says, love your neighbor. And so we know that this commandment to love is not new. What does he mean by that? Well, it's new to them, and it's new in the way that he is framing it for the disciples. This, the setting of this conversation takes place in the upper room. On the, the night that Jesus will be betrayed, he'll be tried. The next day, he will be crucified. And, and John, uh, really, 13 all the way through 17, covers what takes place in that upper room. Amazing teaching, amazing things happened there that night. But the newness comes in really two ways. One is in the word that Jesus chooses to use. And then the other is in the example that Jesus sets in front of them. The word that he chooses is the word agape. The Greek word agape. Agape is a self-sacrificing kind of a love. Agape is a gracious love, meaning that it freely gives of itself. You don't have to earn or somehow deserve this love. It just happens. That's agape love. It's a love that shows mercy and forgiveness. It's a love that is patient and it's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's a love that's not arrogant or rude. It's a love that doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's a love that doesn't rejoice in what's wrong, but a love that rejoices rather in what is true. It's a love that bears all things, a love that believes all things, a love that hopes all things. Agape love will never fail. Never. And so Jesus commands his disciples, that includes us here today, that we are to love one another with an agape kind of love. And then he goes on and he gives the example. The example that Jesus calls us to follow in having this agape kind of love is himself. 
Follow the example of me. He says, just as I have loved you. And so the big question that we have to consider as we think about a verse like this is, how has Jesus loved me? In what ways has he loved me? Give me some examples of that. Because he says in verse 35, I, I love what he says in verse 35. He says, if you love one another in this way, uh, that, that love that you have for each other, it will be unmistakable whose disciple you are. The verse has always impacted me. I grew up in, in, in Baptist churches, and Baptist churches uh, historically are not known for the love they have for each other. They're known for fighting and, and, and the bitterness and the splits and the things like that. And I came across this verse years ago, and I thought, wow, we've got this all wrong. We're to be known for the, the love we have for each other, the agape. And so if you want to be unmistakably recognized as a follower of Jesus, and I, I hope that is a goal that you have in your life, then we have to consider the way that he loves. We have to consider the greatness of his mercy, his willingness to forgive his willingness to not bring judgment upon those who deserve it. We need to consider the humility, the, 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 the humility that it took for him to leave heaven, to leave the Father's presence, to come to this world, to be made in the form of man, to die the most humiliating death. Why? Because he came to fix this mess of sin that we've made. That's agape. It's agape. We need to consider his willingness to, to touch lepers. His willingness to risk his reputation to spend time with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and what were considered the worst of sinners in those days. Who would be considered the worst of sinners in our day? We need to consider the many sleepless nights that were they were sleepless because he was praying for the ones he loves. The exhausting days where he, he just continued to, to serve and he continued to heal and he continued to teach the ones that he loves. We need to consider the cross. There's no greater display of love. In fact, Jesus says greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater example of agape than, than the cross itself. We need to consider the, the context of what had just happened in the upper room that night. There's an event that took place as soon as they gathered together that really leads directly to what Jesus says in this new commandment. You see, they had gathered in the room that night and there was no servant at the door to wash their feet. And so the water basin was there, the towel was there, but nobody had washed the dirt off their feet before they began to lay around the table. And so one of the first things that happens that night is Jesus gets up and he goes and he gets the water and he gets the towel and he gets on his hands and his feet and he washes the disciples' feet. And then what he says is this. This is back in verse 12 if you want to follow along. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for, for so I am. If I, if I then am your Lord and teacher, and I've washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, 
Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus had just said in front of them a great example of agape love. When he got on his hands and his feet and he washed, or he, he washed their dirty feet. Jesus' kind of agape love is a love that gets dirty. It gets into the mess of people's lives. And it ministers and it serves. And it's from this new commandment that Jesus introduces here in John 13, which itself is repeated nearly a dozen times throughout uh, the epistles by Paul and Peter, James and John. But it's from this new commandment, this, this wellspring commandment produces dozens of other one another commandments. Dozens of other examples of what agape love looks like. Dozens of other examples of, of the way in which Jesus lived his life and the way in which we're called to live our lives as we live together in fellowship. And so this morning, I want to consider some of those commands with you. I'm going to invite you to turn to these passages with me. Maybe you can make notations. You can jot some of these things down in your bulletin. Go back and look at them later. But I want to look at some of these commands with you. We won't look at all of them, but we're going to look at a good number. Romans 12, verse 10. We're going to go in, in order through the New Testament. So if you're page turning, you can just kind of keep going in the direction towards the back of the book. Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor each other. Show honor to one another. Prefer others above yourself. Romans 16, 16. not dating advice. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. You know that, that command, greet one another with a holy kiss. Paul is going to repeat that in both of his letters to the Corinthians. Peter's going to write about it, repeat that in, in 1 Peter chapter 5 as he writes his epistle. So, so what is he talking about? Greet one another with a holy kiss. He's not talking about we need to smooch on each other when we come in. Uh, he's saying be sincere in the way you greet one another. Show hospitality to each other. Have, have a gratitude about the opportunity you have to be in the presence of this other person. Because we come together in holiness. We come together bonded in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 13. If you want to move from Romans through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians will be next. Galatians 5, 13. Paul writes this, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Love motivates us to serve one another. 
I hope it's love that's motivating our nursery workers this morning. They're serving us. I don't want a bunch of crying babies in here. You know, it's love that's motivating our teachers this morning to serve us in teaching our kids downstairs. Love motivates us to service. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Powerful verses. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, they're caught in the net of sin, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're not meant to do this alone. We're meant to bear each other's burdens as we move through life. Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3. Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3. Leading into verse 1, Paul is instructing us to walk. And notice how he says we're to walk in verse 2. Walk with all humility. Live your life with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. What does he mean when he says you're to, you're to bear with one another? We just said bear each other's burdens. Now he says bear with one another. You know what it means? You put up with each other. You put up with it because none of us in this room are perfect. And we're going to make mistakes. We're all going to have our corks. And he says love bears with those things. Love love allows you to put up with those weaknesses, those things we see in our life. How many times, I wonder how many times did Jesus just, oh my goodness, you still don't get it. You know, but what he continued to bear with the disciples. He continued to love them and invest in them and teach them. And guess what? He's still doing it today. <laughs> He's bearing with all of us who sit in this room today. Bear with one another. And by the way, I don't want to preach on all of these, but that's exactly how we maintain unity, by having that kind of love. We stay united as a church because we, we bear with each other through life. Ephesians 4, verse 32, the end of that chapter. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted to one another, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We should show kindness to each other. Ephesians 5.21 Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm to be submissive to you. You know what he's saying here? He's saying Prefer the interest of the other person. Put the other person's interest above yourself. Put the other person above yourself. Submit yourself to them. Serve them. Honor them. Love them. That's what we're called to do. Ephesians or Colossians 3.16. This is a great one. Also found similar in Ephesians. But Colossians 3.16. Notice what Paul writes here. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We're to teach one another. We're to encourage one another with the word of Christ. We do that in our conversations. We do that as we, we sing these songs together. We're teaching, we're admonishing. 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Paul has just given specific doctrinal instruction in, in what we call the, the rapture, recognizing the end times that Christ wins. And he says in verse 18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Use the words of Christ to encourage each other in these things. I get a call on, on Thursday from, from the nursing home, and uh, it was the activities director, and she had said that a lady named Joanne, who's a regular participant in our, our Sunday morning services, that she thinks she's near death, and she wanted to see if I would come down there. And I, I went down there, and, and I got to visit with her a little bit, uh, and I encouraged her, not with my words, but with the words of Christ. I encouraged her with the promises that we find in Scripture. And that's not just something a, a pastor does. That's something we all are called to do. Encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, a little bit later, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Check out Hebrews chapter 3. Don't worry, we've only got like seven more of these left. So you're just lucky I'm not preaching all of these because I want to desperately. If Hebrews 3 verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says, be on the lookout for each other. Watch out for one another and, and exhort one another. Admonish them. Speak into their lives and say, you're in danger. Wake up. Be vigilant. We're called to have that role in each other's lives. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. He says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We're to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know that word stir up is like, uh, it's also used to describe like a rash, <laughs> to irritate each other. <laughs> To love and good works. We're to irritate each other in the right way and, and challenge each other to good loving service. James 4. James 4. If you want to turn over to the book of James. James 4.11. Let's 
a little bit of a curveball here. Here's what he says. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. So he's not saying do this. He's saying do not do this, one another. Don't speak evil against one another. Notice uh, chapter 5, verse 9. Just drop down a little bit. Do not grumble against one another. Don't complain about each other. On your car ride home. James 5.16. What do you call it in boxing when, you, when, when there's like a, a complex punch, set of punches? What do they call that? A combo? This is a combo right here. James 5.16. Thank you, Tori. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. 1 Peter 4, 9 and 10. 1 Peter 4. We're almost there. You guys are doing good. You're doing good. 1 Peter 4. Verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without, without grumbling. I love how he throws that in there. He like knows humans so well. Show hospitality without grumbling, without complaining about it. And then he goes on to say, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Use your gifting to serve others. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. This will be our last one we look at amongst the one and others. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourself with humility, all of you, as you interact with one another. As this is the way, all that we've looked at, this is the way that Jesus loves. All of these examples, all of these commands, this is it. Jesus loves us in these particular ways. And if we're going to be his disciples, if we are going to move forward and follow him, then, then we have to love one another in these same ways. We have to love the people that are sitting around us this morning in these same ways. Love one another. All of these commands, all of these, these nuggets of instruction, all of these examples of the way that Jesus, our Lord, loves, they presuppose one truth. All of these things assume one thing. That you know each other. That you know one another. These commands assume that you know the person who's sitting beside you. You know the person who's sitting behind you, in front of you, across the aisle from you. I've done it before. I won't do it now, but where I've made everybody like stand up and, and look around the room very uncomfortably. You know, all of these people. 
How can we truly live out these characteristics? How can we truly obey these commands if we don't know each other? We can't. We can't love people if we don't even know their name. Now, I mentioned this a few weeks ago in our, our Wednesday night Bible study. You know, we're not a big church. We're around 100 on a, on a big Sunday. And so there's no reason we shouldn't know each other's names. It's like 100 people. It's not bad. I'll give you on some of the kids. I still don't know some of the kids' names. I'm just like, hey, you, go do that, you know, or little sister or whoever you are, yeah. But as far as it goes for the adults, I mean, it's crazy sometimes for me when I'm in a conversation with somebody and I say a name and I get that blank stare back like, who are you talking about? And as a pastor, kind of, it, it breaks my heart. It angers me a little bit. I'm like, you've gone to church with him for three years. Three years in this one room, week after week. And, and you don't know who they are? I mean this today as a, as a reproof, as a, as a reprimand, but also mean it as a fresh start. I also mean today to be, for us, a redemptive moment where we can put the past behind us and move forward in following Jesus. I mean, you, you get this, right? I mean, so you cannot love a person if you don't know that person. You cannot effectively pray for a person if you don't know anything about their life. You can't show honor to a person if you don't know what's going on in their lives, what they're doing that's honorable. You can't show genuine hospitality to a person if you don't even know their name. And so this morning, with the help of, of author, teacher Ed Welch, who wrote a book called Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love, I want to lay out a plan in front of us. A plan to move forward in these areas. Um, to put this glaring weakness behind us and move forward in following Jesus in genuine love. We're not going to get through all the plan today. I quickly realized as I was working through this, this is a, a two-week thing. And so we're going to come back to this next week. But I want to give you the first couple of points today. The first one is this. The first part of the plan is to remember, to remember we have the Spirit. For some of you, um, everything I just said terrifies you. <laughs> I mean, the idea of of meeting a stranger, even shaking a person's hand, asking for their name, uh, much more going to like the confessing of sin, praying out loud kind of prayers for people, that makes you want to just bolt for the door. Say, I, I don't want to be a part of that. And I'll be honest with you, we've had people who have felt that uncomfortable in the past who have bolted for the doors. They don't like that setting. Many who fill the seats of, of larger churches, this is not my judgment on them, this is their own admission. They do so because they can go in, they can sing, they can hear some teaching, and they can leave. Nobody knows who they are. And it's a go in, an escape, and they don't have to interact with people. And they're comfortable with that. 1 John 4.18 reads this way. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears 
has not been perfected in love. Now, the, the primary purpose of this verse is to remind us that because we find ourselves in the love of Christ, because He has chosen to love us, we needn't fear the judgment of God. We need not fear punishment. But we can apply this verse beyond that and recognize that because we find ourselves in the love of Christ, we needn't fear the judgment of other people either. And because we find ourselves in the love of Christ, which is indescribable, we needn't fear obeying His commands. We needn't fear, uh, no, matter, no matter how comfortable, uncomfortable, not comfortable, no matter how uncomfortable those commands make us feel. The truth that we all need to understand as we consider this dawning task in front of us, following Jesus, loving one another in all of these ways we've described, is this, we're not alone. We're not alone in that. That, that, that's often the reason that we, we fear that. We, we feel alone. We can be in a room full of people and feel alone. Nobody understands me. Nobody gets me. See, that same night in the upper room, after Jesus washed their feet, after he dropped this new commandment on them and a lot of other stuff, it was a pretty heavy night. He gave them a lot of information. But one of the things he said amongst that information was this, I'm about to leave. That was pretty heavy too. But he says, I'm going to send a teacher. I'm going to send an advocate. I'm going to send a helper. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will empower you. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're, you're sitting in this room today, then you have that same spirit. And if you feel a tug of conviction, you feel a burden as you think about these things, that's not me. At least I hope it's not. That's the Spirit of God saying, mm, I want to grow you in this area. Because He longs to produce in your life, He longs to produce in my life, the agape love of Jesus. It is the Spirit of Christ that indwells us and He wants to produce that kind of love in us. He wants to produce a love that serves a love that, that greets, a love that shows hospitality, a love that honors. He longs to do that work in us. A love that conquers fear, a love that stands up, a love that gets out of the boat even though the waves are big, a love that moves forward, a love that walks across the room, a love that extends a hand, a love that introduces yourself to someone that you don't know. It's love. Some of you may protest and say, that's not my personality. That's not my gifting. Well, I would challenge you to show me in Scripture where the exceptions are made based on our personalities because they're not there. Personalities are awesome. And I love the variety of people that God has put on this planet. But they're not excuses for obeying the commands that Jesus clearly lays in front of us. And, and the idea that it's not your gifting, that's just a kind of below the belt way of blaming the Spirit. He wants to help you to obey. And it's true, there are some people who are far more gifted in hospitality. There's some people who are far more gifted when it comes to striking up conversations and, 
interacting with people. But we cannot make the excuse that that's not me, so therefore I don't have to obey the one another commands that Jesus gives. The, the beauty of the church is this. God has determined that it's just the normal, run-of-the-mill, everyday people that do His work. That obey these commands. But we don't do it alone. He's also determined that because He knows how hard this is. For some, it comes naturally. They might not even need the Spirit to approach those people. For some of us, we require that. We need that, that empowerment to even live in obedience in those small ways. And the cool thing about being a part of the church is this. When you, when you make that move in obedience and, and you're going to love that person and it's scary, and you're uncomfortable, and you walk across the room, and you're praying, okay, I'm going to do this in the power of the Spirit. I'm going to shake a person's hand. I'm going to ask them their name. The chances are in this room, that person has the Spirit as well, the same Spirit. And they may be dealing with the same things, but that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing what God's put together in the church. And if we can't be our genuine selves here, if we can't live out those struggles and work through those struggles here, where else can we do it? This is where it's got to happen in the life of the church. Second thing, last point today. Move toward and greet one another. So remember, you're not alone. You're not alone in this. And then to move forward and greet one another. Ed Welch writes this. Brilliant. We take the initiative and we move towards each other. God has moved toward us and we move toward others in His name. When you take the initiative and you walk across the room and you go and you shake somebody's hand and say, I've never met you before. My name is Josh. What's your name? You're being like God in that moment because He took the initiative and left heaven and came to greet us in the most loving of ways. And so, what a beautiful sentiment to think about. And so, like we said, you have to get up, you have to get out of the boat, gets uncomfortable, you have to walk towards the person, you have to greet them. Mentioned four times, as we already said throughout the New Testament, greet one another with a holy kiss. The point is not the kiss, the manner in which happens. The point is that you're greeting them with sincerity. We do that oftentimes with a pat on the shoulder, a handshake, just an introduction of yourself. Greetings are, are not a form of politeness from a bygone era. They're skills that imitate the Lord. And show respect and honor and kindness to other people. And I love this line that he gives, Welch gives in his book. And we're meant to grow in them. I'm not saying this is natural. <laughs> Some of you are like, I know this is not natural. I, I feel how unnatural this is. But just like every other thing we do in the Christian life, every other command we're striving to obey, every other way we're striving to be like Jesus, we grow in it. And we, we start with, 
with those, those baby steps, and then it becomes a little more comfortable over time. We continue to grow in those ways. So a good goal to consider. This is really my, my main point today. This is the main objective that I want to lay out in front of you today. Good application we can take away. Greet one person you don't know well each time we gather together. Every time you, you come through those doors on a Sunday morning, the objective is I want to greet one person that I don't know very well. And, and in this size church, it's not going to take you too terribly long to greet those people. But, but then you'll engage in more and more conversation as time goes on. So let me give you just some practical things to think about here. What that means is, is you may have to get here early if you're going to live that goal out. You may have to get here early enough where you have time to shake people's hands before the band starts playing. You may have to stick around afterwards and just hang out for a little bit afterwards and, and make that intentional move to, to greet somebody, to have an initial conversation with somebody. It, it means you don't just sit in the same seat every week. And you don't just talk to the same people that sit around you every week. Many of you, we move forward and we, we enter this time that we have together every week with the intention of just being hospitable. Greeting one another with sincerity born out of a love. A love for Jesus and a love for the people that he's placed in and around our lives. You all know the statistics. You hear the stories. We live in a world where communication is at the fingertips, yet people feel more alone than they've ever felt in all of recorded history. Let's not let that be our story here. Let this be a place where people feel loved, where people feel welcomed. Let's be hospitable, that of you. Let's move forward in that. I'm going to ask you to just bow with me for a moment. There's a lot of directions we could go with all of those many commands that we looked at this morning. But the primary one I want you to focus on during, during our time of prayer here is how can I do better at, at greeting? How can I do better at initializing and just getting to know the names of the people? That by the way, Christ has chosen these people to be in your lives. This isn't accidental. He's put these people around you. Father, would you help us to move beyond our fears? To, to stop looking at the waves that are crashing around us and just look to Jesus. Our Lord, and say, I want to obey you. I want to love people the way that you call me to love people. I want to honor them. I want to greet them. I want to show hospitality. I want to do all of those things. Help us today to make that commitment and then be doers of that word and, and face those fears, not alone. We face it with the power of the Spirit. We face it with the promises of Scripture. God, we face it with this beautiful fellowship that you've given us here.
so I, I pray that you would help us to take these steps forward in fellowship so that we can be a, a unified body so that we can be a body of believers where love is preeminent and people look at our lives and say those must be followers of Jesus they've got to be nobody loves more deeply than they love God that's the goal you have for us and that's the goal we're pressing on towards and so we thank you that we can have this beautiful time together today I pray that Christ was exalted and that he'll continue to be exalted as we move through this week in our families and in our lives we pray it in Jesus name